This is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Welcome to the Flourish at Home Show. Your host, Mary Jo Tate, is an international book editor, the homeschooling mom of four boys, and the author of Flourish, Balance for Homeschool Moms. Mary Jo loves to help moms find peace, order, and balance by sharing practical tips, inspiration, and encouragement. Visit her website at flourishathome.com. And now, here's your host, Mary Jo Tate. Welcome to the Flourish at Home show. I'm Mary Jo Tate, and today we're going to be talking about how to trade in the juggling act for a more balanced life. Does your life seem like a juggling act? It's such a common way for moms to describe our struggle to keep up with everything, isn't it? It just seems to fit. You have all these responsibilities or balls that you're juggling, and it's so hard to keep them all going. You toss one ball into the air, then another, and another one, and you have to keep catching them and keeping your eyes on them and staying coordinated and keeping up the right rhythm, and oops, there they go. The problem with the juggling act is that it inevitably leads to dropping the ball. When you're caught up in the juggling act, you tend to think in terms of crisis management. I think of this as a triage approach to life. Are you familiar with triage? It's a medical strategy for dividing the victims of battles or disasters into three categories. One, those who are going to die anyway, no matter what you do for them. Two, those who are going to survive anyway, no matter what you do for them. And three, the group in the middle who are going to die without help, but they might survive if you help them. It's this last group that receives top priority attention because it makes such a difference. When you take a triage approach to everyday life, you tend to ignore the things that aren't going to get done no matter what, ignore the things that will be taken care of anyway, and give all your attention to the crisis. It's what Charles Hummel calls the tyranny of the urgent. Back in 2001, my husband left me with four sons under the age of 10, and triage quickly became my default approach to life. I jumped from one thing to another, reacting to whatever seemed the most urgent at the moment. When I was working on an editing deadline, I spent less time with my kids and taking care of the house. Then, because my business was just growing, I didn't always have paying projects, so when work was slow, I would neglect my business and spend extra time reading to the boys, working on their homeschool lessons, and cleaning the house. When a new editing project came in, I'd I'd shift my attention back to business, and the cycle would start all over again. Lots of times I would tell my children, if I could just get past this one deadline, when I finish this one editing job, things will be different. And I really believed what I was saying. I wasn't lying to them, but I was fooling myself. You just can't live that way very long. Life is a marathon, not a sprint. You have to find a pace that you can maintain over the long haul. If you keep operating in overdrive at a sprint pace until you get past just one more deadline and you keep rushing frantically from one crisis to another, it's just simply not sustainable. You will burn out, and that's not going to be good for anybody. Triage is simply not a long-term strategy for daily living. It's a strategy for emergencies. If you are constantly operating in triage mode, that's a sign your life is like a disaster scene. And that's not what we're aiming for, is it? Now, here's a great example of what my life was like when I was thinking in terms of the juggling act and always operating in triage mode. 
I'm going to share with you a letter I sent to two of my editing clients almost 10 years ago. I'm not usually quite this transparent with my clients, but they were young men who have an odd sense of humor, so I thought they would probably appreciate the Rube Goldberg nature of the incident. Here's the letter I sent to them. If you see any blood on the manuscript, it's from cutting my thumb while picking up pieces of the toilet tank lid, which broke when it fell off the trash can, where I'd set it hastily while trying unsuccessfully to prevent the clogged toilet from overflowing while the phone was ringing with a message from another client just as I was copying the last few pages of your book, trying to get to FedEx in time to get it to you tomorrow so you might have a shot at getting it ready for the California convention, and hopefully then I would get to the Boy Scout store before it closed to buy a Weeblos manual for my 10-year-old son who's joining Cub Scouts tonight so that he will be eligible for this weekend's campery which includes an opportunity to fly in a real airplane because he wants to be a rocket scientist. I applied an economy brand bandage, but the blood soaked through the teeny little pad as I was packing your manuscript into the envelope by a Band-Aid brand. Well, that's pretty funny as I look back on it, but blood all over my work was no way to live any kind of a balanced life. Eventually, I realized that I wanted to get out of the triage mode and there was a much better metaphor than juggling for what I wanted to accomplish. Tightrope walking. Suddenly I had the image of a tightrope walker come into my mind and it made so much sense. They make frequent small adjustments to maintain their balance. They lean a little to the right and a little to the left, gradually making adjustments without big sudden shifts. Did you see Nick Walinda cross Niagara Falls or the Grand Canyon on a big, thick cable? I watched both of these events on TV, and they were both terrifying and inspiring. They were terrifying because they were so dangerous, but they were also inspiring because he was living his dream, he knew exactly what he was doing, and he had trained very carefully to prepare himself for the crossing. Later, I found a video where Nick explained how he uses the balance pole as an extension of his arms to adjust to changing conditions, like if a gust of wind comes along while he's on the wire. One arm pulls while another pushes, and he uses the pole as something to lean on. If the cable that he's walking on starts to bounce up and down too much, he stops and kneels until it stabilizes. Just like a tightrope walker, we have to constantly adjust to changing conditions in order to maintain balance in our lives. That idea of maintaining balance rather than juggling really made a powerful difference in the way I approached my daily life. And so I challenge you, when you catch yourself saying, oh, I've just got so much to juggle, stop and think about dropping all those balls, scattering them all over the floor, and maybe tripping on one of them. And then bring into your mind the image of a tightrope walker carefully balancing his way across the the rope. Begin thinking in terms of balance. You may be surprised at what a difference this simple shift in your thinking can make. But wait a minute, some of you may be saying. Isn't balance a myth? Well, lately it's become popular to criticize the idea of life balance as impossible or even just plain silly. You've probably come across some of these comments yourself. The thing is, what they're attacking isn't really balance at all. They're setting up a straw man, a false argument, a misrepresentation of balance that's easier to criticize. Many of these critics have a very narrow view of balance, as if it requires keeping all the wedges exactly the same size in the pie chart of life. Of course that's impossible. 
No one can spend exactly the same amount of time on each responsibility in her life, but that's not what true balance means. Let's look at it another way. Think about one of those old-fashioned balance scale that has the, the rope hanging down and two pans that you put objects on to weigh. If you were weighing feathers against rocks, if you put an equal number of feathers on one side and rocks on the other, this would not create balance even though you'd have exactly the same number. In order to balance the scale, you'd have to use very different numbers of feathers and rocks. Then, once you got things balanced, if someone suddenly dropped an orange in among the feathers, you'd have to remove some rocks to keep things balanced. Or, if you were measuring other objects, such as pennies or marshmallows, the quantities would have to change again. True balance doesn't mean spending an equal amount of time and attention on each area of your life. Actually, it means spending an appropriate amount of time and attention on each area. And this changes over the course of time. Just like walking on the high wire, balancing your life involves responding wisely to changing conditions. Sometimes you have to shift your attention from one area to another. Sometimes you have to stop and rest until things calm down a bit. Unlike the drastic triage approach or the mythical pie chart approach to life, these gradual ongoing adjustments will help you maintain your long-term balance. Now, it's easy, isn't it, when someone's talking about balance and sharing strategies that have worked for them, it's really tempting to think, well, yeah, but she doesn't have my challenges, or he doesn't have the problems I have, or well, maybe that works for her, but my life is different from everybody else's. Well, in one sense, that's true. Your life is different from everybody else's. We all have unique circumstances, and that's why I emphasize adjusting and modifying what you learn from me and from any other speaker or author to fit your situation. Although the details of our lives and our circumstances vary greatly, they really all fall into three main categories. The first category is what I call irreducible facts. These are things that you cannot change. You really can't do anything about them, at least not right away. For example, my irreducible fact is that I'm a single mom with four children. If you're struggling with a chronic illness, that's your irreducible fact. Or you may be caring for a sick spouse or an aging parent. These are the circumstances of your life, the irreducible facts that everything else has to fit around. The second category is non-negotiables. These are the things that you won't change. For example, two non-negotiables for me are that I will homeschool my children and I will build my business at home rather than leaving my children to take a job outside the home. Everything else has to fit with these circumstances. The third category is preferences. And it's a good thing there's a third category because if irreducible facts and non-negotiables were all we had, there wouldn't be much we could do to change our lives. Fortunately, there is a third category, things you can change and are willing to change. Preferences are not unimportant, but this is where the wiggle room is. This is where you have the opportunity to negotiate and compromise. One example of a preference that I've had to compromise is that I really like having a flexible schedule and designing my own educational program. But 
my family has been participating in a very rigorous homeschool co-op for about eight years now because for us, the benefits outweigh the reduced flexibility in our schedule. It works for us. It's a compromise, but it does make our life better. Now, one of my number one rules is no whining. The irreducible facts are just that. They're facts. Pity parties are just counterproductive. They sap your energy. The cure for whining is one of my most fundamental principles. Find peace in the space between the ideal and reality. The ideal is what you would be doing and what you could have if you could do and have anything you wanted without any complications or the hindrances of an ordinary life. The reality is your everyday life, the facts that you have to deal with. There's just no use whining about it. The real question is, what are you going to do in the middle, in that space between the ideal and reality? Some people don't like the word compromise because they think it means somehow undermining their principles and not living up to them. Well, you shouldn't have to sacrifice your principles or ignore your priorities. The solution is compromising on how your priorities play out practically in everyday life. You will always have to make choices. For example, one of my preferences is reading aloud. I would love to read aloud to my children two hours every night, all snuggled up together on the sofa in front of a blazing fire. Well, a blazing fire, at least in the wintertime. We live in Mississippi, so that would not be appealing in the summer. But doesn't that sound wonderful, just snuggling up together, reading aloud together? And we did enjoy many leisurely read-aloud times when my boys were younger, but that's just not a realistic goal for our lives right now. But that doesn't mean that I throw reading aloud completely out the window and say, well, if we can't do it two hours a day, we might as well not bother doing it at all. What it does mean is that instead of reading together every day, maybe we do it one afternoon or evening a week. Or maybe we listen to an audio book while we're folding laundry or riding in the car. Sometimes an older child will read aloud to a younger child. All of these are different ways to get the same benefits of reading aloud together or hearing great literature, even though I can't always have my ideal of snuggling up on the sofa. And I've found peace with these alternatives. It's a way to find peace in the space between the ideal and reality. Now, this may sound like a simple principle, but don't let it fool you. It's very powerful. One of my coaching clients, Dawn Clark, found that it made a big difference in her life. And here's what she had to say. By directing my attention to accepting that which doesn't match up to my ideal, this liberated me to pour my energies into being a woman of motion rather than being paralyzed by my list of what should be but wasn't. No longer do I have my eyes on the disappointments of what I'm not doing. Instead, I can now focus on the potential opportunities of what can be done. So that can make a big difference in your life as well. Now, in this show, I'm going to be talking a lot about changing your mindset. And for me, one of the most important ways to change the way I think is how I think and talk about time. How often have you said, I just don't have time for this? Instead of saying, I don't have time for it, train yourself to ask, how can I make time for it? When you phrase the problem as a question, it opens your mind to other possibilities and reminds you that you have a choice about how you spend your time. Of course, you also need to consider whether you should make time for the activity in question, and we'll be talking about that in future shows. Of course, 
we don't actually make time, do we? Rather, we decide how to use the time we've been given. Maybe you feel like you don't have any control over how you use your time. But think about times when you've been super productive. Most people get more done in the day just before a vacation or a business trip than they usually do in two or three regular days. High motivation and an immovable deadline can really spur us into overdrive so that we get much more done than we do in ordinary times. Or consider how you immediately drop everything that you've got planned, no matter how important or how urgent the deadlines, if there's an accident, an illness, or even a death in the family. A couple of years ago, I spent a day in the emergency room when my oldest son was in a bad car wreck. A month later, I spent another day in the ER when my father had heart trouble and then he had a pacemaker implanted. Suddenly, schedules, plans, and deadlines just didn't matter at all. As we've been talking about, you can't live permanently in crisis or triage mode, but these examples do demonstrate how you can choose to make time for whatever matters to you. I'll be talking a lot about time in future podcasts, and there's a lot of discussion about time in my book, Flourish, Balance for Homeschool Moms. But don't think primarily in terms of time management. Instead, think in terms of life management. That is, balancing all of life in the real world so that you and your family can flourish. Thanks for tuning in to the Flourish at Home show. For more encouragement, visit Mary Jo at flourishathome.com. The Flourish at Home show is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network.